0: Welcome to Let's Talk Diaspora. Again, we're on season two, um, and we're talking about that uncomfortable middle. And today we want to really focus in on this episode four on how do we even begin these conversations of connecting with people and um, getting to know people.
1: Yeah, thanks for kicking us off, Rebecca. So if you remember the outline for this uh, season, we set it up like we were talking about this uncomfortable middle of this tension, but we kind of had a process that we say, here's kind of what we see from scripture of uh, prayer, abiding in Christ, connecting with people, proclaiming the, go- proclaiming the gospel or the kingdom, discipleship, church planting, and leadership development. So we're, we're at this entry point where we're, we're assuming that you're abiding in Christ, you've been praying, and then now the question is, how do I begin to get connected with this diaspora People, So that's where we're at. I just want to start us off with one story that's super practical that just recently I, I did. So in the area that I live in, there are a lot of people from Latin America. And so with uh people from Latin America, sometimes looking at them, it's confusing to know, are they from Guatemala or Nepal? Are they from... Uh, Mexico or Pakistan, or they? So one of the things I've been doing to help identify my focus people segment is whenever I'm going to a gas station, getting a, a, some food somewhere, any place that you could potentially meet someone, I'm using phrases from their language. So an example is I was at a convenience store that's like right around from my house Uh, I don't go there super regularly, but there had been some Latinos working there. There's a taco shop attached. And I'm like, this girl could be from South Asia. So I pay her for my drink. And then she gives me my change. And I say, Danabad. And her expression lights up like crazy. And I'm like, okay, she's from South Asia. And she said, how did you know that? I said, oh, I was in South Asia earlier this year. Where are you from? She was from Nepal. And then we begin talking. About, okay, what what part of Nepal? And she tells me I don't know Nepali uh, geography very well. So I was just like in agreement. Sure, yeah, I think. And she says it's it's you know east of of Kathmandu. Okay, great. And I say, remind me. Uh, Nepal is uh, there's there's Hindus, Buddhist, and Christians, right? That's the, they have a diversity of religion. She said yes. Did you know that Nepal was the birthplace of Buddhism? And I said, oh, that's interesting. Are you Buddhist? She said, no, I'm Hindu. Now, I tell that story because it went from me buying a drink, connecting with a Nepali girl, then her identifying herself as Hindu. Now we have an open door to start a spiritual conversation. And so I find that just to be so practical for anyone to learn some phrases, some words, that you can just like throw out like seed and see what responds because I've seen time and time again using their language is an immediate open door because it's always like, how did you know that? Rebecca, do you have any stories that would help, help kick us off as well?
0: Well, our family is moving to a new city. So I look forward to meeting new people at um, gas stations and the places around. And um, I was, one thing that I've learned is being able to go into this new city, being able to say I'm new. Um, I've only been here for so long. I'm originally from, you know, I'm originally from Texas. So saying I've come from Texas, I've been living in Texas. Um, and then asking them, you know, how long have you been here and where are you from? Um, where did you come from before being here? Um, has been a good opening um, topic and way to um, start to begin to know where people are from and um, begin to then ask questions about the places that they're from.
1: Yeah, that's great. Uh, so I think with connecting with people, there there is this um, level of you have to know where to look. So in the city that you're in, perhaps you're in a large city that has a large diaspora population or a smaller city with a smaller diaspora population to connect with someone, you kind of have to know where are potential points of engagement. And so that means you have to do a little bit of research. You could be like me and just go to the gas station and in passing, Oh, find this Nepali Hindu lady who's, who's open to talking about Jesus or you could be more focused. And if I was specifically looking for Nepali in my city, there's all of these markets and restaurants that I could go to, or, or even the Hindu temple in my city, the, the, I've been there, the priest there is from Nepal. So knowing where to engage with people is really, really helpful. There are some resources online to help you do that. I've created a, uh, a training video of how to find points of engagement uh, in that. We can put that in the show notes, but it's really just using Google and using Google maps. And you may say, well, this sounds super simple. Let me just give you the tip. If you use Google maps, you can search the reviews. So if you are looking for like a specific language group and you're like, I don't know if this Indian restaurant is owned by Telugu speakers, Gujaratis, Hindi speakers, like what part of India well, oftentimes if you go to the reviews, you can search the reviews and you will find you know, someone from Hyderabad and say, oh, this is the best food I've had since I lived in Hyderabad. And you're like, okay. So that's more of the clientele. So some of you are gonna be more focused in the people that you wanna engage with. Some are gonna be less focused. If you're just starting out, you probably just need to go to some ethnic restaurants and markets and begin to talk to people. But I think that's, that's something that, you have to consider is where do I do that? Rebecca, where have you found really good places to begin connecting with diaspora peoples?
0: Well, I mean, as a, as we've already mentioned, gas stations for sure. I've found numerous um, folks like that. But going into a Costco, sometimes, um, some, especially in your bigger cities, um, being able to go into a Costco, you'll see people that you can tell are not, they're not like you. They're different from you um, and try to bring up a conversation. But I've also loved having my kids and being able to see different people at the schools um, and being able to start conversations and asking, you know, about them and their families and getting to know them um, has been another place. So it's not always just out in the Marketplace, but um, even within those personal things you're doing, maybe even a sports event that you're doing with your kids, um, you're going to meet some different people that are, you're going to be able to tell they're from different places. And it just takes a step to go up and start to get to know them and let them get to know you. And I would, one of my big things is to invite them to your home because most cultures outside of the Western culture is so, so. Um, much more hospitable than our culture here in the States. And be, for them to hear those words coming from my white face that I'm going to invite them into my home is a big deal. And also, again, the language that Bud has always you know, mentioned, you know, knowing a few words from different places is a great um, door as well.
1: Yeah. I think you mentioned sports. That's really uh, a unique opportunity if you think of uh, soccer or how The rest of the world calls it football. Uh, Most of the rest of the world is really, really passionate about soccer. Uh, If you're interested in connecting with South Asians, think cricket. Uh, So in my city, we are getting a major league cricket team. That's like three or four miles from my house. So guess where I'm going to go? I'm going to go learn about cricket and who am I going to meet at the cricket pitch? I would venture to say 80% of them are going to be South Asian. There might be some Brits who are there. And then there's going to be people like me who just want to meet South Asians. And so you you just have to think about that. Festivals are a great way of connecting with people because you can go just be a participant observer. You just identify yourself, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not one of you, but I want to learn what you're doing. And they will be so honored by that. And then they're going to be doing things, especially if it's a religious festival, they're going to be doing things that gives you the opportunity to begin to ask questions Mm -hmm. that will lead to more spiritual conversations. But I think what Rebecca said was really important is inviting them, not not just connecting at that point, but the people that you connect with inviting for another uh, point of interaction that's more, more relational following up. So exchanging phone numbers, saying, hey, I learned so much, but I want to learn more. I would be so honored if you would come to my home. I want to cook for you and continue to learn more about who uh, you are and your culture.
0: I also, it made me think of a story, parks are another great place to meet um, people from different cultures and backgrounds. Um, they love to go out and hang out together as a family and be out in the parks together. Um, but as I was thinking of a story like that, I, um, I went into one of our neighborhood parks in Texas, and um, as I was in that park, began to visit with some of the women, well, none of them knew English so the husband of course was, i could was very protective and came over and started talking to me and getting to know me and i actually exchanged numbers with him and then later on he connected me with um his you know wife and things like that so just know Sometimes that's going to happen, particularly in your Muslim countries, um, Muslim cultures, is the husband may be a little on the protective side, come over and get involved, and it's okay, but it also will build bridges um, with that family as you um, build bridges with him and then continue to ask about his wife and his daughters and his family.
1: Yeah, you, you kind of have breached uh, uh, maybe a, a shift in our conversation around language And people that we're engaging with maybe not being able to speak the language that we speak. And so I would say that there's two things with that. One is uh, that that shows you the importance if you are going to have a focused ministry among a diaspora people uh, based off language, that language learning is of great value. The other is typically if they have not learned English, there's typically one or two reasons why is Either they're a new arrival, which opens us up to conversation around like refugee ministry, uh, which we're going to talk in detail in kind of future podcasts, but we'll touch on that in a second, what that looks like. Or it could be, like you said, a wife. So I uh, knocked on a door of an Afghan guy several months ago. He spoke very good English. He had lived in the United States for 29 years. His wife could still not speak English. So in some of your very conservative Muslim cultures, even if they've been here for decades, they still may not have learned English. And then I would go a little bit further to say, even if someone has learned English, spiritual conversations are best done in their heart language. It's not that the Lord can't use you in English or through a translator or through a translator app, but really a person's heart language is what they should be thinking about spiritual eternal things in. So with kind of that in mind, maybe we pivot and start talking about other ways that you can connect with diaspora people. And that's through people who are new arrivals, people who are coming into your city as refugees or asylum seekers, or even, you know, if we're honest, there's an influx of people who are coming illegally, not to have a conversation about that, but the The point is, is they're coming and they have needs. Uh, Rebecca, what are some ways that people connect in that context?
0: Well, I mean, there's a lot of great resources in almost every place and everywhere now. There's a lot of refugee kind of um, government-associated refugee helps um, that you can get um, hooked up with. There are also churches that are providing ESL classes. Or you could start providing some ESL, teaching English, um, helping provide for families as their furniture and things like that. We get more on that felt-need side, but um, those are some ways. But also, I think another thing is a number of these people are coming in with trauma. Um, I think that trauma piece comes in more with the relationship that you build with them and get to know them and hear their stories um, that you can begin to know how to best help them um, work through their trauma. But that is another area um, that I think connecting with people and working with them through.
1: Yeah. The, the idea of re- refugee resettlement, there are uh, agencies. If you are in a metropolitan city whatsoever, almost irregardless of size, there is probably a refugee resettlement organization. Some of them are secular some of them are Christian, like Catholic Charities. Some of them are Evangelical Christian, like World Relief. Uh, there, there's many more we could name, but just I, I'm saying that so that as you begin to approach that organization to be maybe like a volunteer, you have to understand where they're coming from. Some are secular. Some are uh, you know more kind of Catholic in their um, background. Some are Evangelical, but all of them typically put some sort of safeguards around their staff evangelizing because with refugee resettlement, there is government funding that helps do that. So I just share that to say, do a little homework before you connect with these organizations. I'm not saying any are good or any are bad, but at least you know who you're connecting with and maybe how you can best communicate with that. Now, Rebecca, with the conversation of resettling refugees what I've seen a lot of churches do is they mobilize a lot of people for an initial response. So uh, last year with Afghans and it's almost like a drive-by, right? So like, you know, drive-by shooting is like you just drive by, you drop off the stuff and you go on. I wouldn't say that is the best means of connecting with people because the point of connecting with people is to have a gospel centered relationship and just giving people stuff doesn't typically facilitate that. Do do you think like there's this tension? So we, we, we've talked about in this season, this, uh, uncomfortable middle. Do you think there is a sense of enabling that is possible with refugee ministry and maybe meeting needs in a way that's, uh, enabling.
0: I don't I even know if I asked
1: the question. Is that right? Well, no, I,
0: I, I saw that overseas for sure. Um, I think going into an overseas country, I saw where my white face meant that there was a job, there was money. There was a lot of things that I was coming in to offer. Um, and I think that can always, um, create tension and issues. It can create a dependency. So, um, there's good with a little bit of that, um, and but there can be some harm with a lot of that. So I think we have to be very careful. So I definitely believe there's a tension there. I think we can also get caught up in wanting to fix everything, and we never share the gospel. So we have to be very careful um, to be doing both, both of those. Again, finding that happy middle, that um, uncomfortable middle, as we've been calling it.
1: Yeah. And I've also seen people who are connecting with refugees do a really good job that they will, they will deliver something that's not even a need, you know, like from our idea, like a tea set or a rug. And it's like, well, that's not actually, you know, one of our, you know, greatest needs. It's like, well, they need shelter, food, but it's like whenever they have those things, they'll deliver a rug. And if it's, you know, an Arab or an Afghan family who are just used to having a rug and sitting on the floor and they don't have one, that is such a blessing. And then what it does is it, it, it gives them something that they're feeling like, oh, I don't even have to have this. They were just kind. They understood me enough to give me this. Early on, whenever there were a lot of Afghans coming, Afghans are just so hospitable. Uh, typically, they almost always would invite you in. And I had someone tell me, I don't remember who it was. He says, if they don't invite you in, it's probably because they don't have the means to fix you tea. Mm -hmm. And so that gave us the idea of, okay, if they don't invite us in, we're going to come back with a tea set. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that was very, very frequently. The reason why they didn't invite you in is one of two reasons. One is because they just knew uh, who you were, what you were doing. They've been visited by 14 other people that week, and they were just tired That was sometimes the case. Other times they just didn't have the means to host you. And typically hosting is like tea and some nuts or some sweets. And so we would also sometimes bring gifts with us every time that we came. They would never open the gifts while we're there. They were going to provide for us from their means while we were there. But we felt like when you visit someone, you bring a gift. So the next person who visited would maybe eat the sweets that we gave them.
0: (laughs) Well, and they love gifts for sure. And, and I also, I want us to be careful um, as we talk about, you know, what not to do or what to do. I don't want to in- discourage anyone from doing something, from stepping forward. So uh, please don't hear us say that. We, but I think as you've heard from many of our episodes, as well as this episode, it, there is an importance of prayer as well as research. Um, in finding what are the appropriate things to do and not do. And as we talked about connecting, but are there some ways that maybe we should not start a conversation with someone or some, some topics that we might not should talk with um, others about?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, I I typically try not to start a conversation related around politics, Mm -hmm. even though, There are people from uh, countries, you know, Muslim countries, Hindu. like they love talking about politics. But the thing I've learned is in some instances, politics is more polarizing in their culture than anything else. And if someone's from Turkey, and if you know a little bit of the politics situation in Turkey, there's, you know, the people who are in power and the people who's not in power. And if I identify in the opposite camp, I, I'm not actually connecting with someone. I'm, you know, I'm getting kicked out of their, their situation. And so I've never found in any context, uh, leading with politics is, is to the best of my knowledge, never helpful. Uh, now, once you get into a more deep relationship, you understand someone, I don't think it's off limits, but like initial conversations, I don't, I I just don't think that that is, that is very helpful.
0: I definitely agree. And I was even thinking about earlier comment of asking someone where they're from. It might be better to ask someone, where did they grow up and tell them where I grew up instead of where are you from? Because sometimes that from question could be a difficult one for them to answer.
1: Yeah. And then too, if your context has people that are, they have been in the United States for a while. So you think, East coast and West coast is where we really probably have the most developed diaspora communities where it's second, third generation. Um, I often ask, where is your family originally from? Because you ask them where you're from and they're like, I'm from San Diego. And it's like, yeah, yeah. But where? like really what we want to know is what what is your, your, your family lineage? Where are they from? Uh, so if you're in a context where the population is much, uh, they, they've been here for decades and you're talking to someone who's 20 they they were probably born here they didn't necessarily emigrate they're still diaspora their english may be really good you may be a similar age to them and it could be a great connection point but that's kind of a, a stumble in a sense of asking where where are you from i've done that many times and been corrected of oh i'm i'm from the United States i was born here
0: well, and the family question is a great question because all, almost all other cultures are very family oriented. So even asking about their family um, is a great connecting point, um, whether it be where their family is from or who their family is and what, do their fam- what does their family do and um, asking about their children are always great questions as well.
1: Yeah, we mentioned uh, research a little bit with finding points of interest, but I think research also plays an important part in connecting with people because you can research what their interests are, uh, what, their, what their thoughts are, like what do they believe. And so uh, research plays an important part in connecting. It plays an important part in evangelism that we'll, we'll get to talk about in, in the future, but we can't overlook the need of being informed. Uh, about the culture, beliefs, religion, interests of the people that we're engaging. Now you can do it without that knowledge, but I think it helps us connect better when we have a base understanding.
0: For sure. And but we talked a, a little bit about refugees and asylum seekers. Um, but what about what about your international students? What are some great ways to maybe connect with your international students or maybe even professionals um, that you're working with?
1: Yeah, international students, we we have to recognize that uh, even though during COVID there was a, a decline, but there are tons of people who are coming as international students. They are influential in their home country. Most universities have some sort of collegiate ministry on campus. Not all of them are actually reaching out to internationals. But I would say one of the best ways to connect is if there is a ministry reaching out to internationals, come alongside them. They probably have training. They probably have resources. They probably give you connection points. What I've seen some universities do really well is they will have gatherings that are focused on their culture's food. So for example, there are a ton of South Asian students on most university campuses and so they will have a biryani night. They'll have vegetarian and halal. So that way you can have uh, you know, your, your Hindu students from India come and have vegetarian. You can have your Muslim students from India or Bangladesh or Pakistan come and have you know, halal biryani. And it's a connection point. There are some that share the gospel in that context. There are others that they just bring volunteers and they train the volunteers to have conversations and connect outside of that. But remember, if we're thinking about connecting, that is a creative way to connect. Another way that we've in in our city this past year, we connected with people and we learned this from someone else. It's not original to us. But during Ramadan, we uh, we connected with homeowners that were Muslim and we offered to mow their lawn during Ramadan. So if you understand Ramadan, they're fasting from food and drink all day, Uh, Ramadan and was during the time that grass was starting to grow. And so we just approached them and said, hey, we know that you're gonna be fasting and you probably don't wanna mow your lawn. If you don't have a lawn service, we have some people that would love to volunteer and serve you and bless you by mowing your lawn. So that was a creative way to connect. The beautiful thing about connecting is you can be extremely creative and your creativity gets better as you learn more about the people you're trying to connect with.
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, the, um, connecting with the universities and groups that are connecting with university students, international students, and made me think there's also, um, being, I had lived in, near San Antonio, and there was a military group that wanted families to come in and, you know, get to know the other families from other countries that are serving among our military, and what a great way to connect, have a meal with them. Um And then I've been a part of international student ministries where they're wanting families to adopt students to have in their home for, you know, a holiday or for a special occasion or maybe for a football game, you know, whatever that may be. But that's another great way to connect with those students and also maybe the military that are from other places.
1: Yeah, in the show notes, there are a ton of resources that we can share for international students, organizations that are engaging resources. Uh, We we would take too much time listing all of those things. But if you are near a university campus, and maybe you don't have a large diaspora population outside of that, there there are probably uh, hundreds of people from other countries who are here studying. And if they're here studying, they have to have a certain level of English proficiency, and so you can sit down with them. You can talk to them. You can invite them to your home for a meal. The, I don't remember what the research says, but there was some number, we'll put this in the show notes, of the percentage of international students who are never invited inside an American home is astoundingly high. I don't remember what it was, so I'm not even going to say a number, but it's it's high, disturbingly high. So if that's all you do to connect with people, that is, that is a, a really great thing. Uh, lastly, I just want to mention the professionals. So some of the people we were mowing lawns for were professionals, but I believe the biggest untapped resource and the biggest mission field opportunity is with people who are unreached people groups in the diaspora that are business professionals. I believe, I don't know what the answer is, but I believe the key to making that is helping mobilize the people in our churches to, ha- to connect with the internationals they work with. So if you think of the the major groups that are more affluent, so like Punjabi Sikhs are more affluent. They're owning businesses. They're truck drivers. they're, they're, They're business people. Gujaratis own hotels and businesses. Pakistanis are lawyers, doctors, engineers, Indians working in computer science. All of those places are the same places that we have church members who are also working and helping them see the strategic nature and the simpleness of saying, hey, would you come to my house for a meal? Because typically the pushback is I can't share my faith at work. Um, They can, but I'm not going to press that because it it may not be the best choice. But I think what is a good choice is saying, would you come to my house and meet my family or get our families together and we can have a meal and you connect that way. And then you begin to introduce spiritual topics and conversations. And then what that does is gives you the opportunity to then begin to bridge to that next Phase that we're going to be talking about in future episodes is is evangelism, proclaiming the kingdom. But you can't really do that if you don't connect with the people.
0: It's so important to connect and build those relationships, and it does take a lot of time. I want to encourage each of us not just to throw on a band aid, but really to take on that time of um, developing relationships and um, getting to know the people that are around us, particularly from those places that have not had a chance to hear about Christ.
1: So Rebecca, I think we're at a good stopping point. Thank you for listening to the Let's Talk Diaspora. This episode, we were talking about connecting with people. Check out the show notes for more resources of how you can connect with the diaspora in your city or near you. Haradi Jews are some of the most unreached people in the world. But God is moving in this community, and we sense that the time is ripe to increase our efforts to reach them with the good news. The key to this outreach is prayer. We invite you to journey with us into the world of the Haradium and to meet Haradi men and women, as well as the believers who serve them and to join us in the critical work of prayerful intercession. Start learning and praying with us today with a free digital download, or you can request a free copy at upgnorthamerica.com forward slash resources.